are here to slow down in the middle of the gifts, our traditions, our plans. We are here to remember God's plan that he left his throne and on a silent night in a dirty manger, he changed everything. We are here because Christmas means God deeply loves us and provided a way for us to be with him. We are here because the great gift of hope, of joy, of peace, and of love was given to us. That's why we celebrate. That's why we sing. That's why we are here. All right, guys, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, just for today and our gathering and God, we realize this whole meaning of Christmas can really be explained in a single word, and, and that is love. That you sent your gift of love to us so that we may receive it, experience it, and understand it. And this love descended from heaven to become a person, and his name is Jesus. And from the day that he was conceived to the day he rose again, he, he demonstrated to the world what love really is. He didn't come because he thought that earth would be a fun place to live. He came because he knew we needed him. But that's what love does. It goes where it's needed most. So God, fill our hearts and our minds with the significance of that truth. Put in us a desire to go where we are needed and do what you would do. God, we give thanks today for the, the gathering of your people. We, we've come to, to celebrate and rejoice your majesty and your glory. And so our prayer is that you would receive the worship that you deserve. We give thanks for your church and the individual expressions that give it depth. We thank you for our Savior Lutheran Church here in town and the ministry that you've called them to. May they be faithful and responsive to the Holy Spirit. God, we want to do the same thing. We want to be faithful. We want to be responsive. We, we want to be obedient and, and let the law of love and forgiveness guide our lives. Love should, it should shape our thoughts and lead our conversations, dictate our behavior, especially towards one another, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this Advent season, as we anticipate the, the coming of our Savior, remind us that we already bear his image. And as we go out into the world, we have the opportunity to teach that same world something about you. We pray that your kingdom would come to those who have not experienced it. In fact, we do that now as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Again, welcome. So I'm Stephen Dickinson, the lead pastor around here. We're in our second week of this Advent series that we're calling the Advent Mission. Um, God is on a mission, and the mission of God is really just to redeem all of creation. So that includes you and I. Every, everything will be made new, heaven, new earth. And, and, and while 
Um, God is able to make you and I individually and personally a new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus did on the cross. Really, all of creation is not going to be made new until Christ comes again. Now, last week, we, we talked about um, how we put our hope in things, and, and we, we discovered that if we'll put our hope in, into, into God and, and the promises that God made, um, he's not going to let us down. We won't be let down. Other things in the world let us down. We know that. We've experienced that. But putting our hope in God really is the, is the only one place where we can put it um, where we're not going to experience a big um, letdown or be disappointed. God always does what he said he's going to do. And this season of Advent helps remind us that, that God's plan of redemption is playing out just as he said that it would. Over 700 years ago, uh, before Jesus even came to earth, there, there was a, a prophet by the name of Isaiah. And he spoke of two different advents. And so um, the, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Here's what he says. This is Isaiah 7, 14. And I'm just going to give you a couple of lines. But when you read before it and after it and study it out, this has to do with the first advent. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. And so Isaiah is referring uh, to Mary giving birth to Jesus. Then later on in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 60, verses 18 and 19, he references Jesus' second coming. He says, No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within the borders. But you will call your wall salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your, glory, and you, and your God will be your glory. Same language that the Apostle John uses in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 22. So one day, we're, we're not going to need the sun or the moon to provide any light, because our light is going to come from the glory of the Lord. At one point in history, the glory of the Lord resided or dwelt in the tabernacle, only to depart because of Israel's sin. The glory then moved its way into the temple, but it departed when the nation turned to idols. Then the glory came to a people, to the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, in the person of Jesus Christ, and they nailed that glory to the cross. Today, God's glory resides in his people, in his church, us individually. But one day, God's glory is going to be revealed to the entire earth when he answers the prayer of his people, which basically is, come, Lord Jesus, or thy will be done on earth. That'll be the day when the world, as we know it, will change forever. Now, not many people put a whole lot of thought in the end of the world during the Christmas season mainly because we're so focused on uh, the birth of, of Jesus, but also because we've made Jesus' return to earth into this uh, kind of an event that's almost dreaded. Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't like to think about that with, with the books that we have uh, today in the last several decades, with movies, with the cultural twists, with scriptures that have been taken out of context. We've created images of this event that, that really border on the traumatic you know, 
Armageddon wars and apocalyptic events and the weeping and gnashing of teeth and people disappearing in the rapture. I grew up in a Christian tradition that really didn't uh, focus on that, didn't address, address that at all. We just focused on loving God and loving our neighbors and, and trying to help people out by serving. However, I couldn't escape the cultural understanding of end times, and you probably couldn't either, which basically teaches that the, the world is going to, to increasingly become a horrible place to live with widespread pain and suffering until God gets fed up with all of it and just wipes it out, destroys everything. After years of studying the Bible, I discovered that's not what the Bible teaches. Hollywood has got its own version, but it's not scriptural. The Bible teaches that the earth is going to go through a process of purification. We mentioned last week that ever since sin entered the world, all of creation has been in this state of decay. It, things, are, things are dying, you know, physically and morally in a state of decay. And so it, it's crying out. It's groaning was the words the scripture used. Um, and, and we're aware of this because we, we see it. We're, we experience it. I mean, things, things wear out. Things break. They die. We, we make bad decisions. We've got health issues. And the list goes on and on. And, it, and at some point, and we don't know when, but God is going to reverse the process. And out of that process will come a new heaven and a new earth. And God gave the apostle John a, a vision of this to share with the world. And we get the benefit of, of reading it. He wrote in Revelation 21.1. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first, earth and the fir first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This doesn't sound scary, does it? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and there will and, there, and he will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So this new heaven and, and new earth isn't something to fear. It is something to behold. You don't want to miss this. It is going to be glorious. And because our God is great and, and our God is good and, and he and he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son into the world to continue this, this rescue mission, this plan of redemption for all of creation. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it ushered into the world a foretaste of an entirely new world that is still to come. 2 Peter 3.13 says, In keeping with God's promise... We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. That's what God promises, a new heaven and a new earth. We look forward to that, where righteousness dwells. Eventually, everything in creation is going to be made new, but we're not there yet. We are in a place where we individually have, have experienced 
transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I used to be one way, now I am another way, and the thing that happened in between those two points was Jesus. The Apostle Paul teaches us that if, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. When a person encounters Jesus Christ and surrenders to him as Lord and Savior, that individual is now in Christ. Symbolically and spiritually, they are buried with Jesus through the baptism and into death in order that just as Christ was, was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's, that's Romans 6, 4, right out of Scripture. We become a new creation. We, we, our, our former way of life, the old self, which was corrupted by deceitful desires, was one way. And then this new life in Christ created, is created to be like Christ, living as, as God on earth in righteousness and holiness. So it should be completely different than the old you, right? And this process of transformation, it changes the way you see the world. And that's what God wanted to happen. He wants people to experience transformation because then and only then can we see and understand the kingdom of God. It is a different kind of living. And for those who trust in Christ by the inner work of the Holy Spirit, everything, everything changes. And as part of this change, um, Jesus gives us a new commandment. Look, if you're going to be changed and you're going through this process of transformation, here's the new commandment. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the kingdom of God on earth, loving one another. That's, that's heaven coming down. And, and how are the people who are part of this kind of this upside down kingdom supposed to live? Well, the, the Bible's got some... Ideas on that as well. It says that we are to, to reevaluate how we use our money so that we can be more generous to help those who are vulnerable and hurting and in, and in need. It involves uh, good works, which means serving the poor and the widow and the orphan so that people can see the bright light of the kingdom here on earth. It involves a radical commitment to forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean... These are just a few of the things that, that Jesus calls his disciples to do. And as we do these things, we are entering into, we are participating with, we are experiencing the kingdom of God on earth. Instead of living to, to please ourselves, we're now living to please Christ and to serve him and to, to look out for the, the interest of others. This is how we are to live between the first advent and the second advent. Our Jewish ancestors, they, were, they waited a long time for the Messiah to come. And now we find ourselves in a very similar situation. We're waiting. And historically, we're not very good at that. Right? But perhaps that's because we really don't know or understand what God's doing in the waiting. Waiting gives us the opportunity to, to place our faith, and increase our trust in God and God alone. It allows time for us to, to crucify our idols while at the same time learning to, 
to be grateful and, and learning to depend on God's provision. Waiting helps us recognize uh, God's divine plan and the call that he has on our life. And, and once we do that, once we begin to, to focus on faithful living, that transforms our present day living, right? How we see the future determines how we live today. God uses these, these periods of waiting to, to sanctify his people, to, to transform their hearts and their minds. Abraham and Sarah, they had to wait a pretty long time for a son to come along. So did Rachel and Hannah. Joseph waited for a, a promotion. Moses waited to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Joshua waited for the promised land. Ruth waited for a husband. David waited to become king. Elijah waited for rain. Job waited for suffering to end. Paul waited to be released from prison. However, in the midst of their waiting, these people were called to do some simple stuff, like just serve your family well. Serve those around you well. Learn about and listen expectantly to God. Pray without ceasing, not grumbling, no complaints. Fulfill the ordinary work that God has called you to do. It wasn't glamorous, it wasn't showing, it wasn't even exciting, but it was preparing them for what lay ahead. And if you know what lays ahead, it is much easier to stay focused on, stay on course. And, you know, if you know what the payoff's going to be, if you know the payoff is going to be glorious, and we know that it is, it makes waiting not just bearable, man, it makes it worth it. So for those of us who live in the meantime, it's, it's always good for us to, to live with this awareness that Jesus is coming. Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you're ready or not, he's coming. And this Advent season, it, it is a reminder for us to kind of double down on making preparations for that event. And as we wait and we, and we trust in the extravagant mercy and love of God, the, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us a pretty good idea of how, of how we should be living in preparation of Jesus' return. One day Jesus is suddenly going to appear in a cloud like a thief in the night. But I promise you, before that day happens, he is going to appear like a homeless person to you or a hungry child or someone who is in need of some clothes or someone who is sick or someone who's in prison. While waiting on Jesus, we live and we love as Jesus did. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. How we respond to Jesus in other people, it should shape how, it's probably going to shape how Jesus encounters us on that great day of fulfillment. As Christ representatives, we get to shine light on the dark world and share his love to a broken people everywhere. We get to proclaim the good news that a Savior has come, died for our sins, conquered death, rose from the grave. He is all-powerful, he's all-sufficient, he is all-knowing, and he's full of love, so there's really no reason for us to have anxiety about when he's coming back. Because if you're prepared, then his arrival isn't something to fear. And as we go through life, you know, and we, sometimes we just feel like that tomorrow is just going to be another one of today's. The monotony of life kind of sets in on us. 
And it seems like all of our efforts to, to help, to, to serve, to love, it just seems like it's kind of going into this bottomless pit of human suffering and indifference and cynicism. And then, it, and then it gets hard to go out and be a positive, enthusiastic follower of Jesus Christ. But in the face of the crushing needs of the world, the only way to preserve hope, the only way to maintain a willingness, a willing sense of discipleship, really, is just to trust that at any moment, we may be surprised by the sudden appearance of God. At the height of of World War II, a German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was imprisoned uh, for taking a stand against Hitler. Uh, but he continued to encourage his, other pa- his fellow pastors and just his friends to, to resist the, the Nazi regime. And, and a group of Christians, they, uh, believing that, that Hitler really was the Antichrist and that this was it. This was, it, the world was coming to an end. And so they went to Bonhoeffer and they said, listen, why, why do you expose yourself to this danger? They're, they're going to kill you if you don't shut your mouth, basically, right? Jesus is going to return any day and all of your suffering, all of your work, it's going to be for nothing. And Bonhoeffer replied, if Jesus returns tomorrow, then tomorrow I'll rest from my labor. But today, I've got work to do. I must continue the struggle until it's finished. Bonhoeffer, he had the right attitude, really. It's not up to us to try to figure out or guess when Jesus is going to come back. It is up to us, though, while we're waiting, to wait with expectancy for his return so that we might be found doing what God has called us to do when he shows up. As we live our lives right here, right now, in Cabot, in ways that are pleasing to God, then it is simply a matter of making the decision every single day to surrender to Christ. So every morning when you wake up, you decide to live the life that God has given you to live right now. Refuse to live yesterday over and over again. Resist the temptation to save your best self for someday in the future. There's no need to get lost in the technical details of time or try to figure out something that Jesus didn't even know himself. Instead, live your life with audacious faith, limitless passion, extravagant generosity, and a holy holy boldness level that just throws you into um, loving people and loving God so much, right, that when he shows up, he says, this one, this one's mine and this one's ready because we're prepared. Ours may be the generation that Christ comes back on a cloud or it may not be. Either way, our lives are in the hands of a loving God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for just our opportunity to call ourselves a covenant people. That as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been grafted into the family of God. We are heirs to the throne. And as such, God, we should be living like it here on earth. We thank you for the work that was done on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, knowing that uh, salvation's not just something off in the future. It's right now. It can start today if we want it to, as we begin to be transformed and molded into the people that you created us to become. So God, our prayer is that as we go through this season, that it's more than just 
about Christmas presence. It's about having an awareness of who we are. This is what makes us who we are. God, again, we just give you thanks for working in our lives. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, this, this morning, uh, we've got one more song. And as we sing, we'll be, we'll be standing. But maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you either today or leading up to now. Or, or maybe today's the day you're like, all right, I got I to gotta start kind of purging the world out of my life. I, I've become so busy with so many things that I don't have time for Jesus Christ. It happens. Um, I've been there. I haven't always been a pastor. My priorities weren't always straight. There was a time when I was climbing the corporate ladder and I really thought I was something. Jesus reminded me I wasn't. But he is. He's everything. And so maybe maybe today's the day that you're like, that's it. He is everything. And I want to lay it all down, and I want to follow, I want to follow this rabbi they call Jesus Christ. And so I'll be up here if you want to pray with me. Jamie, Jared will be up here if you want to pray with him. Maybe you just want to spend some time at the table in prayer. Let's be standing as we sing this last song.